Real quick, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have not been baptized, you need to get baptized. You know, it's like believe and bam, the first commandment, get, get baptized. We're going to have baptism service on Good Friday. So if you've not been baptized, come see me, come see Pastor John, and we'll talk about that. If you were baptized as an infant, we want to talk to you about that. Um, we want to talk to you about uh, the Bible talking about believer's baptism. We'll, we'd like to talk to you more about that because we'd like for you to be baptized as a believer. Good Friday. That's in a few weeks away. Let's get going on that. About a week ago, I was in Jamaica with my wife. We were there because it was like a, you know, we're both turning 40 over this next year, and we've been married for 15 years. We thought it'd be a good place to get away. And Jamaica is absolutely beautiful. And, I, and I'm going to just go ahead and make the executive decision that we relocate our entire church there. <laughs> All in favor say aye. That's what I'm saying. We're going. Now, in Jamaica, they have these absolute, just beautiful resorts all over the place. And though I didn't have the privilege of staying at one of these, I just hear they're, they're unbelievable. If you've ever been at one of these before, maybe you just tell. It's like all you can eat food anytime you want. The drinks are plentiful. The rooms, the pools, the beach setups are, are magnificent. The entertainment is touch not at these resorts. And, 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 the, and the wait staff is just ready at your service. Now, I, I'm trying not to be bitter or jealous because I didn't get the chance to stay at one of these resorts, my poor wife. We, we didn't stay at one of these resorts. And so I'm, uh, I'm not going to go into details of where we stayed, but it wasn't one of these sweet, top-notch resorts. So where we stayed, we got to stay basically in the heart of Jamaica and experience what the culture of Jamaica is like. I don't know if you know much about Jamaica, but it's more than just beaches. And we, we love the people there, but there is a, there's a lot of suffering. There is a lot of poverty, and there, there, there are a lot of orphans. My wife and I had a chance to go to an orphanage while we were there. Let me put this picture up for of you. Uh, uh, here's my wife there. There's, I'm telling you, they're different than the Ethiopian children in the sense that, I don't know, they were just like attacked her and grabbed all in her hair and would not let her go. It was very interesting. So they were very... They were attacking all of us, and it was a great time. Um, also, within the culture of Jamaica, it's, there's, um, there's a lot of poverty in the sense where people can't get jobs. They want to get jobs, but the jobs just aren't there, and so that kind of trickles down. Um, it's, it's a drug culture, uh, pretty heavy. I was, my second day there, walking on the street, I was offered drugs. And then the next day, someone was trying to sell me drug paraphernalia. And then the third day, we saw someone doing drugs right in front of us. So it's like it, it impacts the culture, and that trickles down to the, to the vulnerable. At the same time, the, the, the place is permeated with the gospel. People really love Jesus there, and they have a heart for, for lifting up Jesus Christ. And, and, but they need a lot of help, a lot of help in their suffering. And so I got to thinking. I was wondering what it would be like for me to step on, if they would let me, one of these sweet resorts and talk to the people on the resort about the culture of Jamaica. And so I just imagined myself walking onto the resort and saying, hey, I want to tell you about the culture of Jamaica. And I said something like, man, there's a lot of poverty here. And there's some kids, and they're barely making it by on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. They're hungry. And then the person on the resort may say, what are you talking about? It's all you can eat. 
I said, no, 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 no. Well, let me just tell you what I saw. When I was out there, it's a dangerous place to be. It's very dangerous. It's like one of the top five in the world for murder here. It's the cultures. It's, it's really violent, and it trickles down to the vulnerable. And, and the person on the resort might say, what are you talking about? There's security all over the place. I said, no, no let me just tell you. The culture, there's, there's a lot of drugs, and, and it... And it and it comes with that crime and prostitution and then, and then AIDS and HIV and it passes down to the vulnerable. And they say, well, what are you talking about? There are people around here drinking, sure, a little too much maybe, but they, they all look healthy. And I would say to the person on the resort, let me get to the point. There's something going on outside of the resort walls that you can't see in the resort. And and I'm just asking you, would you consider just for a while stepping off the resort and coming to their aid to help them? The reality is, most all of you, including myself, most all of you, you live on the resort. For the most part, your life is comfortable. You, you don't lack much. For the most part, you're not poor. Yes, you may be in school, but you know you're going to cash in when you get out. So for the most part, we live on the comfortable surroundings of the resort. We don't see that much poverty where we live. We don't see that much suffering where we live. We don't see that much oppression where we live. And it's nothing to feel guilty about. Man, I'm not here to make you feel guilty about where you live. That's ridiculous. But, as Christians, we are called to engage with those who are suffering. We are called to show compassion and love, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. And so because of our context, the exhortation has to be, it's time to step off the resort. If we're ever going to engage those who are suffering, we're going to have to make a decision that we're going to move off our comfortable living, out of our security, to care for others. And Jesus will go as far as to say that if you choose not to do that, there awaits for you a very vicious judgment. If you're new with us today, we've been going through the book of Matthew and we're in Matthew 25, if you want to turn there. We're in Matthew 25, we're in verse 31. This is Jesus' last statement to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. He's been speaking about the end of the world and his return. Now he tells them what it's going to be like at judgment. And just want to tell you, these are hard words from Jesus. I thought about, you know, I love you so much, and I just thought about there's got to be a way that I can soften these words. <laughs> yeah? Like, there's got to be some way where I could punch you with no force or hug you without the embrace. But if you want to get hit, you want to get hit, right? If you want someone to hug you, you want them to embrace you. So let's just let the words have their say without me constantly have to qualify everything that Jesus says. I hate when I feel like I got to do that in preaching or have to qualify everything that Jesus says. And so by the time I'm done qualifying, the words mean nothing. Let's just read what he says and just go with it. You okay with that? Let's do that today. So no qualifying. 
Let's go. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. We have the imagery of the Son of Man. This comes from the book of Daniel, if you want to look it up later, Daniel 7, 13, and 14, where Jesus, the Son of Man, he's exalted, and he's on his throne, and he is, he's waiting for judgment. And here's the picture. He's coming with his angels, and he's going to be enthroned, and he will come for judgment. You know, the first time he came, he came humble, and he, he died for sinners upon the cross. But now, in his second coming, this glorious coming, he's coming to judge. And then verse 32 Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Every single person in here, I don't care who you are, you're going to stand before the the judgment seat of Christ. Every single one of us is going to be judged one day. All the nations are going to be gathered before the Lord Jesus, and he is going to start to separate them as a shepherd would separate sheep and goats. Once again, Old Testament imagery. This time it comes from the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel talks about God judging, separating sheep and goats. But here we have the enthroned Jesus, who is the divine one, who is the Son of God, who is now judging. And he's making a separation. Those on his right are gaining favor. Those on his left will face his judgment. And I know that for the most part, we don't like to think about separation between the damned and the saved. But there is going to be a separation one day, and the Lord Jesus Christ will make that separation. It will be his determination. King Jesus will say to those on his right, look at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That is going to be the best to hear that, right? that we're blessed by God the Father to inherit this kingdom from the foundation of the world. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Like we're going to be able to finally enter into our joy for eternity, our inheritance. But not so those on the left. Let's see what happens to those on the left. Look at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. There will be no more horrifying words than if you're standing before Jesus Christ one day and he says, depart from me. That We're talking about eternal separation from God forever in a place of suffering called hell. It goes on forever. There'll be no more horrible words to hear that depart from me to a place prepared for the devil and his angels. So those on the right get eternal joy and those on the left get eternal suffering. All right, let me set the scene for you. Day of judgment. You've heard this so many times before, but I'm going to put a new twist on it. I heard this from Elegan Duncan this week. He, he said this. All right, you're standing before Jesus, and he asks you, you know, this is the classic evangelism phrase, right? He asks you, why should I let you come in? You've heard this, right? You ever do this to your friends? If you stand before God one day and you ask him, and he asks you, why should I let you come in? What are you going to say? So what would you say? Well, you would say, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ alone for my salvation and his finished work. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. You're like busting out the right theological answer because you went to Evanston Bible Fellowship. You're going to nail it. You're going to nail that answer. 
And then what if the Lord says, I have a follow-up question. And you always thought there would just be one question, but not a follow-up question. You ever use follow-up question? Well, what's the follow-up question, Jesus? And what if he said to you, what's the evidence that you believed? What was the evidence that you loved me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? What proof was there that you believed? That's what Jesus is talking about today. The evidence of a true believer and the evidence of a false believer. Evidence that you truly believe. Here we go. Let's look at the evidence. Let's start out with the evidence of a true believer. Verse 35. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, by the way. This is a great passage. Verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So Jesus is saying, okay, to all those on the right who inherit the kingdom. You did these six things to me. These six things uh, were evidence of your faith. Uh, faith, when Jesus needed help, they stepped up and helped him. And the believers are like, uh, excuse me, we're a little confused, Jesus. What are you talking about? Look at verse 37. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, um, excuse me, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? Uh, when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? <laughs> like, Excuse me, we don't remember that. Surely we would remember when we served you, Jesus. Jesus is saying, you can come on in because the evidence of your faith, what you did to me, and the believers are like, excuse me, what are you talking about? We don't remember doing those things to you. So Jesus clears it up. Verse 40. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. One of the scholars I like to follow through Matthew is R.T. France, and he talks about something called the principle of solidarity. I'm sure you can track with this. The principle of solidarity. Let me put this up for you. It says the people they helped were associated with Jesus to such an extent that they could be said to be Jesus. Their experiences are his experiences. And what is done to them is done to him. There are other passages in the Bible about this. Let me uh, share another one for me. Uh, Proverbs 19.17. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. So when you lend to the poor, you're like giving a loan to the Lord. A similar concept. And Jesus is saying here, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. He's saying that what they did for Christians who are vulnerable and in need, they have done it for him. This passage is often misinterpreted. Maybe by many of you, but don't feel bad about that. We're going to clear that up right now. Too many times people say, the least of these. You hear all that, the least of these. And they apply it to anybody who's poor or oppressed. Uh-uh. Okay? Jesus is not just talking about anybody. 
He's talking about, in this context, find another verse for that, by the way. In this context, he's talking about believers. It says, the least of these my brothers. That's those who are associated with him, those who, who believe in Jesus. So as they helped Christians in need, they were serving Jesus himself who is connected to them. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't help unbelievers at all. It doesn't mean that. Let me, let me give you a good verse for that. This is a good one that puts the two together. Galatians 6.10 captures the idea well. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So yes, we serve and we do good to non-Christians, and we serve their physical needs. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to them so they will be saved. But the emphasis here in Matthew 25 is on how we associate and care for fellow Christians who are in need. So Jesus says that when they came to visit him in jail, the believers, maybe they were put there because of persecution. Maybe they were put there for their faith. They're in jail. And when they went to go visit them, they're visiting Jesus. And when believers were hungry and another believer gave them food, they were given Jesus food. When somebody was thirsty, gave them a drink, who were a believer, they were given Jesus drink. And he was sick, they were, given, they were taking care of Jesus. You, you, you get the idea here. If you're a believer, this is what you'll do. You'll show compassion. Uh, another favorite uh, scholar I like to follow is Grant Osborne through the book of Matthew. And he says, where there is true salvation, there will be works of compassion. If you really believe, and I don't know what's going on in your heart, but if you really believe, for real, believe in Jesus Christ, you will show compassion. It's just the way it works. If you've been changed, the Holy Spirit lives in you, you will express this fruit of compassion. Let me just be, be really quick here. We're all messed up and we're all sinful, right? And Jesus Christ, he, he, he came, died on the cross for our sins, buried, rose again. We repent. We believe in him. He forgives us our sin. He sends the Holy Spirit to live in us. And, and something just happens that just changes us by the power of his work in us. And this grace starts pouring out of us, not perfectly, mind you, because we're still very selfish. It pours out of us, and we start showing compassion. Not perfectly, because we are all of a mess in that area, but there is some semblance of compassion if you are a true believer. While I was in Jamaica, I saw a very interesting sight. And I've got to tell you about this. Probably one of the most eye-opening sights I saw while I was there. We went to this orphanage, as I told you earlier, and showed you the picture. And we walked in there, and we walked in the main room. And I kid you not, I'm just going to tell you straight up, we saw three white girls. I said, my wife, I said, what are these white girls doing here? What are you doing here? I just seemed like it was a state-run orphanage. This... I didn't know what was going on. And, and, they, and they had head coverings. And they were college age. I said, what are these white girls doing here with head coverings college age? And I went up there and I said, what are you doing here? They go, here's the deal. We believe the Lord has called us here for a year. A whole year. We're Mennonites. Uh, it's like a Protestant denomination. That's another story. Well, we're Mennonites. And they're, and they're like 19, 20, 21. And and they believe the Lord's called us here to work with orphans in a state-run orphanage, which there's a lot of Christians there uh, in the orphanage. And, and, and get this. So they work all day in the orphanage, showing compassion to these kids. And then 
I would want to go home and rest. When they go home, each girl is in charge of their own foster kid. Like, you're kidding me. You're 20 and you have a foster kid and you watch orphans all day. And they only get one break and it's on Friday night. That's it. And I was talking to them and I thought, okay, surely when you're done with this, you're going to go do something, you know, get go to college or something. They're like, no. This changes everything for us. And I know, I know, I know people probably criticize them and say they're wasting their life. And even Christian ones that say, come on, you've got to be a little more responsible than that. You've got to at least go get a degree. And I'm not telling you all to go drop out of school and go to Jamaica and work in a orphanage. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying, if you're a believer, you're going to show compassion. It's, it's, it doesn't have to be huge, but it's going to come out of you. That's just what believers do. And when other believers are showing compassion, we should never dog them but encourage them. We should spur one another on to compassion. That's the evidence. That's part of the evidence of being a believer. What about being an unbeliever? What's the evidence of being an unbeliever according to this passage? Well, let's let's finish up here. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You didn't welcome me in. Naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, but do not care for the lowly, needy, and suffering Christians, will be sent to an eternal punishment in hell. And you think, well, why? If they believe in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. And it's clearly from this passage, if they truly believed, there'd be evidence. But since there's no compassion, Jesus is clear here. I'm not going to take the force away from this. He's very serious. You're gone. They're talking. They're like, Lord, Lord, we, we know you. When do we not do these things for you? Yeah. And they get sent away into eternal punishment. Because there is no evidence of their faith. There's a famous singer from the 70s who I love, and many of you have heard of Keith Green, and he has this famous song called The Sheep and the Goats. I was, I'd love to have someone come up and play it, but it's a long song. But at the very end of his song, he says this. Let me put this up for you. He says, My friends, the only difference between the sheep and the goats, according to the Scripture, is what they did and didn't do. So the goats weren't necessarily going off and committing evil. They were committing the sin of omission, right? They just weren't showing compassion. There wasn't this changed heart from the gospel, and there was no change where they went out, and so they simply did not care for suffering Christians. And this has been a problem. This has been a problem in the early church. It's a problem in the church today. And in fact, I believe something similar to this is addressed in the book of James. The book of James talks about uh, this uh, 
why some Christians were giving special attention to rich Christians and they were dissing the poor Christians. Let me put this up for you. James 2. Very similar idea. James 2, verse 1. It says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you, you stand over there, or won't you just go and sit at my feet? Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So they're telling the poor man who's a believer who comes in, basically that's Jesus. Jesus, just go and sit over there or, or, or sit at my feet. And if they loved Jesus, they wouldn't be telling Jesus to sit at their feet. They would be caring for this person. And, and, and you kind of wonder, well, what that look like today? And I, I have a question. I really, I just want to press this up to you. And I don't know if you guys ever want to talk about Matthew 25 outside of this context. But if you ever do, here's the question to ask yourself. We are responsible as believers to care for those within our congregation who are suffering. So if you're going through a hard time, we want to be in your life. We want to love you. We want to encourage you. We want to surround you. But here's the question I have. Is that our only responsibility? Is it only our responsibility as we live on the resort to care for others on the resort? Do we, as Christians, going back to the sermon last week about being uh, stewards and having these talents, uh, do we have a responsibility to care for other believers in Jesus, locally and globally, outside of our resort, outside of uh, us? who are on hard times. That's the question I really want you to ponder. And, and I would argue, yes, we do have a responsibility. Yeah, I, I would hate to stand before the Lord one day and say, Lord, you know, that, that wasn't my responsibility. It's not my fault. We have the Internet and the news, and we know about this stuff because it's those things' faults. But no, we know the suffering of brothers and sisters around the world. So I feel like we have an obligation financially and have an obligation to use our, our time and our talents to, to help them as well. So I, I think we do. I don't think we're just going to be content ourselves with each other and caring for each other. And so I'm going to, I'm going to start to, to kind of bring this, bring this down here. And I really hope you, you are listening here. Because I know your life, most of you. I know you love Jesus. I, I talk to you. And, and you care for people. You really do. I mean, I'm, that's why I'm not really going off today. Because you're a very loving congregation who cares for people. But the reality is, is that you and I, we still live on the resort. We'll go out here today, probably not going to bump into too many people who are hungry, who are thirsty. Chances are this week you're not going to see, you're not going to see anybody in jail this week. Maybe you'll see somebody who's sick. But for the most part, we we have this comfortable, predictable, and safe life. It's our day-to-day existence. And once again, don't feel guilty about that. Don't go eat lunch and go, oh, I'm just so comfortable. This is terrible. And you're eating at Panera. I can't believe I'm eating this good at Panera. Don't do that. There's not, we're not trying to be feel guilty here. But just acknowledge the fact. We're living large. All right? We're living large. We're on the resort. This is sweet. This is comfortable. That's why I believe in our context for who we are, where we live, we have to make a decision to intentionally step off the resort and engage those who are suffering. It's got to be a move. It's got to be in your heart. 
It's like, you just can't say, you cannot leave here today and go, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to serve, whatever, and don't do anything. And you don't change anything. Because you're not, you're not going to bump into this in your daily living. You just won't bump into it. So you have to make this, this decision where you're going to step off the resort and you're going to throw yourself into a context of suffering. It may just be down the street locally or it may be globally. But you've got to make that decision. So if you're here today, a believer, and you say, okay, I'm with you. I want to make that decision. I want to step off the resort. Okay, good. We're in, the, we're in a good first step. But I think it's step number two that most people just don't do. They're not, maybe they're not thinking about it, but they just don't do it. So just don't miss step two. You ready for step two? Your next move, if you've decided you're ready to engage suffering Christians, you need to make a middle move, uh, an interim move. I mean, I hope this makes sense. Sometimes this middle move, you have the heart, but you're not making any middle move. It's like a, it's a, sometimes it can be informal and sometimes it can be formal. So here, here, check this out. There are women in our church who care for another woman who's really suffering. And these women in our church had to make a middle move. And that middle move was this. We have to rearrange our calendar, rearrange our finances, and rearrange our expectations in life in order to care for this woman. So it's a very informal middle move. They have to mentally get ready to care, and they have to make this transition. Now, sometimes the middle move could be more formal. Picking on the women of our church right now, there's another woman in our church. And this woman in our church has a passion for prisoners, for women in prison. And let's just say you're here this morning, and you just, you, you just have such a passion for prisoners, and you're ready to go. But you know what? You can't just go knock on the county jail and say, excuse me, can I come in and minister to prisoners? It's not going to happen. Unless you get yourself arrested or something, then maybe. But you've got to have some, some middle move where there's got to be some type of equipping, training, background check to get you in there. But don't leave that out. And, and I, think, I have experiences. Because I just want to tell you, the middle move can sometimes be so annoying. It can last so long and be frustrating. Like if you're, if you're any missionaries in here and you're ready to get to the field and just do your thing, you have this middle step of support raising. It's like, ah, middle move, ah. And, and I've personally experienced this. Here's the story. I just want to share my life with you because I'm a mess. Let me, let me share my life with you. About, I've told some of you this, about two and a half months ago, this is, this is an amazing thing. Two and a half months ago, beginning December, we got a call, right? You know this story. Maybe the students don't know this, but two and a half months, I got a call, and the call was this. There's a six-month-old abandoned baby boy. Would you take him in? That was the call. That's all we knew at the time. I mean, the, the story has become much more messier than that. But at the time, he's abandoned. Would you take him in? Now, most of you, if that's your thing, right, you'd be like, yeah! Come t-. Like, I, have you ever told the story to just your friends? Well, if God ever dropped the baby on my doorstep, of course I would take it in. Like, just some hypothetical crazy psycho thing. That's what happened to me. This crazy thing. Baby, baby, come on. But you know what? You may have that heart, but they called me. Not because my heart's any better. I'm a mess. But they called me. And the only reason they called me is because I made an annoying middle move. They called me in December. We made the middle move back in May. 
Or my wife and I had to drive to downtown and do all this crazy training, foster care training, 27 hours, find babysitting for our other kids. Like, what are we doing? Is this, is this ever going to work? Is this even worth it? And then, bam, call December. Want a baby? Baby's abandoned. Do you want him? I don't know how long we're going to keep him. He's still there with us right now. And I know a lot of you have your heart set on a certain area of compassion, but you're not doing that middle step. And I'm, I'm just wondering, what is that middle step? Where, where is that? Because you, you can talk about caring for people all the day, but what is that middle move to get you in that spot where you can do what you want to do? Today is going to be a, a, an awesome way to close our service. No music. You know how we usually close the services. We want to respond in worship and praise. But that's not the only way to respond. Today, you're going to have a chance to respond with action. Don't you just hate those sermons on the end like that? You've got to actually do something. It's like, man, I just want to go eat. I don't want to mess around. Well, let's just sing and go. Today, you're going to have a chance to, to do something. Like, your heart's there. But you don't want to end the sermon going, what are we supposed to do? We're going to give you some options to care for prisoners. We're going to give you some options to go feed the hungry ASAP. We're going to give you options to care for the sick, specifically those with AIDS. We're going to give you some options to care for brothers and sisters in Jesus who love the Lord. So I want to give you three options. And when I'm done, no singing benediction. I want to encourage you to go. We have three different venues for you to explore. Don't have to commit to it today. I'm only asking for you to explore. Some of you are already doing stuff. Praise God. Keep doing it. Do not add one more thing to your schedule. Don't do that. Some of you are already caring for those who are afflicted and suffering. Great. Keep doing it. But for those of you who are not, here's some options. Number one, prisoners. We're going to give you an opportunity today to start to engage those who have been in prison, who have been in jail, and they are just getting out. Now, if you've ever, I don't know if you've had much interaction with those who have been in jail, but wouldn't you think that if you were in jail and you got out, you'd be like, yeah, I'm out of jail. Maybe that's what you think. Yeah, I'm out of jail. I'm going to go back to my normal life. This is awesome. Not usually the case. You get out of jail, and things are hard. Happens all the time. Can't find a job, hard to find a place to live, and there's always this temptation to return to your old life. And we have a ministry here today that ministers to men and women who just got out, and what they need is someone like you to come alongside them and mentor them and love them, point them to Jesus, keep them in the Word, keep encouraging them. There's a ministry here today that's going to minister to, the, to men. There's a men's house called St. Leonard's, and there's a women's house called the Grace House. And it's a great ministry that gives you a chance to minister to those who are just getting out. I know it's not in prison, all right? I know, I understand that. But this is, this is just, to me, just as important, ministering to those who just get out. So that's going to be in the lobby. I want to encourage you to go interact with the one running that. And the, and the second opportunity I want to give you 
is the ASAP opportunity to feed those who are hungry. Many of them are believers in Jesus who don't have enough food. And the ministry we have here today to enable you to do that is Breakthrough Ministry. They serve in the East Garfield Park neighborhood in Chicago. You can go there maybe as an individual. You can go there as an ethos community. And for real, you can be set up to serve the homeless and the hungry and feed them right away. And this ministry does so much. Like if you are a medical person and you have some medical skills, you want to go down there and serve them, maybe you're a dentist, they'll get you hooked up where you can just use your gifts. Maybe you like sports and you're an awesome coach. You may be in college, but you can still coach. You can go down there and coach a sports team. And you can mentor some of the youth. But this is like something you can do like ASAP. Here we go. Let's get going. Breakthrough ministries. They'll be out there in the lobby. And the last group I want to introduce you to is um, a former elder in our church that many of you may know, Dave Case. He's part of a ministry called Christ Hope International. And this is a ministry based in Africa that ministers to those who are suffering with AIDS. Um, their primary emphasis is mainly on orphans and vulnerable children affected by AIDS. And he sent me a couple of uh, pictures. I want to show you one. Not very clear, but this is, this is William. William has AIDS, and he was weighing around 60, 70 pounds, left for dead. And Dave, in Christ's hope, has ministered to him. And by the way, William's a believer in Jesus. His wife has AIDS as well. I praise God, their one-year-old son does not. And Dave and his ministry have been able to minister to this guy. But like I said, their emphasis is primarily on orphans. Let me show you a couple of orphans of Lavender and Felix. Now, I cannot imagine the situation, but Lavender and Felix, their dad died of AIDS. And then they watch their mom die of AIDS. And they both are HIV positive. And so the, the, the extended family takes them in after the deaths, finds out they're HIV positive, kicks them out because of the stigma. And now they're being raised by those from Christ Hope International, raised in the Lord Jesus. And you're thinking, well, that's good for Africa. <laughs> what does that have to do with you? Well, here we go again. We're going to give you an opportunity, yours for the taking, to go visit this August, in the country of Kenya. Those mainly vulnerable orphans and children who are suffering and affected by HIV-AIDS. Your opportunity to go over there and serve. I know we're, we're sending off our Haiti trip in less in about a month, and I know that trip filled up fast. Some of you wanted to go, but it, it was, it's packed. Here we go. Another opportunity. And like I said before, I just want to encourage students in here, I just want to encourage you one time before you graduate, to go visit orphans in need, just once, somewhere. I want to encourage you to keep doing your stints over the summer, go to your Christmas conferences, continue to proclaim the gospel. But also when you go and visit orphans, find out how that mixes in with also proclaiming the gospel, of course with deeds, but also with your words. Maybe some don't know Jesus. So I want to encourage your students, just one, one shot before you graduate, go on one trip. We're giving you the Haiti option. I know some of you are going, praise God. Now I have a Kenya option. It's going to be in August. It's going to be like, I mean, what are you doing in August anyway? I mean, you've got your other things happening early this summer, and then you're getting ready in September for school. But August, you're just doing nothing, right? You're going to be so bored. Here's a great opportunity to go to Kenya and minister to those who are suffering with AIDS. Three opportunities to step off the resort. Three opportunities to embrace Jesus and his people. It's your response of, of worship. It's your response to the text where you're saying, okay, I'm actually going to respond. 
I'm actually going to step off and embrace Jesus Christ. So we have the, the breakthrough and the, the prison ministry in the lobby. We have the trip to Kenya and the AIDS over here uh, with Dave Case and Christ Hope International. So just, I just want to encourage you, just go check one of them out. You're not committing to anything, just seeing what it is. That's going to be our response of worship today. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that what you're working in us, that you would continue to work in us. You have saved us. And we are so grateful for your finished work on the cross. We're so thankful that you've put your Holy Spirit in us. And I'm so thankful for the many brothers and sisters in here who are already serving. They're already loving and embracing you by embracing suffering Christians locally and globally. And I just ask that you would move some of us in a new way today. We didn't come in here thinking about ministering to prisoners. We didn't come in here thinking about ministering to those with AIDS. We didn't come in here thinking about how to feed the hungry. And now you've placed this vision in our hearts. So give us wisdom on how we're to respond. Give us wisdom on what we're, what we're supposed to do. And I just ask that the conversations they have at these tables with these ministries just open up a, maybe a, a, new, a new avenue of service to you and to your people and even to those who may not even know you who need to know you. So just ask, Lord, you do significant things in this worship response time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand for the benediction. Once again, I hope to see.